This is Developer Stories, where we ask you why you built it, and we look behind the scenes of some of tech's passion projects and people. Welcome to the show. You're in the right place. Welcome to Developer Stories. I'm Vanessa Socket, and joining me today is Ramiro Berayesa, CEO and co-founder of Octeto. Ramiro is passionate about making software engineering teams productive. He has had a rich history of working at tech companies from IBM to Microsoft and several startups and has spoken at KubeCon, which is something I've done myself now as of this year and I can totally relate to. So Ramiro, I want to dig into your experiences a bit, but first, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Vanessa. Very nice meeting you. And hey, cool to hear that you also spoke at KubeCon. That's, that's something in common we have, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more that will come up on the, on the episode. Yeah, definitely. And so I heard from someone that you are known, like it's your thing for being a really just positive, happy person. And I love that. So I'm very excited to be chatting with you just because of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good to hear. I don't know who told you that, but uh, I try to. I try to. It's always you know, it's good to see the the fun thing, the fun side of things. Exactly. Like, what are we doing if we're not having fun? Like, what is the point if I'm not having fun? But <laughs> so let's start with your background. Do you want to take me back as, as far as you think makes sense? High school, college, post-college, or maybe when you were first introduced to programming and tell me what that experience was like? Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a long story now. I'll tell you how old I am. But for me, computers was something that I, you know, it's such an important part of my life that I always go back to when I saw them for the first time. I grew up in Mexico. I'm uh, from Mexico. I lived there until I was about 25. So I got my college degree in Mexico and everything. But, you know, I grew up in Mexico in the 80s, much different place than now. So for me, computers were not something we had around at the house. But my dad um, used to work at a bank. And banks in Mexico were one of the first industries that were, like, completely that went completely digital. So for me, kind of like those first interactions with computers were when I got a chance to kind of like go see my dad at his office. And, you know, when I look back to it, it was such a simple thing, right? Just kind of like typing things on a word processor and then printing them, you know, printing word art and things like that. But for me and, and my brother back then, it was like the biggest deal. It was this amazing thing that, even then got me thinking of like, oh my God, you can do so many things with this new technology. I don't know, maybe I was always bad at art. So maybe I found computers to be a great way to express myself without having to have great drawing skills. So I they captured me. And since then, you know, this was kind of like late 80s, early 90s. All I wanted was, hey, can I get a computer at home? And then eventually I was in sixth grade, seventh grade. And then finally, when Christmas, we got our own computer. And it was the biggest deal for us. Like, me and my brother were so excited. I still remember that day. And that's how I got into computers. So I had this computer at home, mostly for, like, you know, like, typing, playing games. But that kind of became the gateway to a life where technology has been driven most of what I do. <clears throat> I've never really lived in anything. I've never really worked on anything else since then. It's always been around computers. And... It really changed my life. And since then, you know, high school was the first time I got access to an actual programming class. Then after after high school, I took a, a gap year, moved to the U.S. with some relatives, 
picked up this book on HTML plus C CSS programming, quote unquote, at a discount uh, bookshop. Taught myself how to like make websites. And that's when I realized, yeah, I want to do this as a profession. And then I came back to Mexico, enroll in a CS degree. And I've been at it since then. After Mexico, moved to the US. First IBM as an intern, then Microsoft as my first post-college job. And since then, it's been all cloud services, developer tools, and all about solving human or business problems, I guess, through the use of computers. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And yeah, just one, you know, one action I took took me to the next and, you know, as I say, careers are only built when you look backwards, but it's been it's been fun. It's been fascinating. And I am very excited that I saw computers early on and they became my thing. That's really interesting. So it sounds like the transition point for you from like, okay, I'm using this computer to make art or to draw to I'm using this computer to actually build things that are sort of I, I don't know how many people would say HTML is programming versus the syntax. That's like an argument I don't want to get into. But it sounds like <laughs> making websites was the first kind of taste of something that you're like, wow, I'm really empowered to do more than just kind of use consumer software. It was. And, and that's why for me it was such a transformational thing. Because until that point, computers were was for me, you know, I could create like type things and, and these drawings, but it was mostly about consuming experiences, video games. And at some point, you know, you had some CD, like CDs, CD-based encyclopedias or or other kind of like um, interactive media, but never about creation. And then when I learned that you could create websites, when I got a taste, my first taste of, of the internet, it was this kind of like, my mind was blown, like, oh, you can create things and you can take code. And that's why I believe that HTML and CSS, at least back, you know, I'm talking about like 20 years ago, counts as programming because you're taking code that is getting transformed into something else. Was this open this door to me to like, oh, you can create all these cool things. And back then I was able to create websites of all these things I was into, sports, tabletop RPGs, video games, you know, whatever it was. And then eventually led to college. It led to me learning how to make websites and discovered like, like proper dynamic websites with databases, all those things. And actually discovering halfway through my degree that you could charge people money, good money, for creating a website, for creating simple applications. And that was another kind of like inflection point in my life because that meant I didn't have to have this kind of like shitty jobs that didn't pay well, you know, like cleaning a restaurant or serving food or like, you know, your typical high school, early college gigs and instead I was building apps for for small businesses and they were paying me enough that I was able to like you know pay myself through college you know my parents were helping but got extra money uh pay for things buy my own computers pay for extra classes and all that was very transformational for me uh you have to remember this was back in Mexico mid 90s so it was not like we didn't have as much access we have now so it was a very different time so it opened that door that eventually opened the door for me to move to the U.S. and, and really spend now you know, all my days <laughs> working on tech and building things. 
Wow, I wasn't expecting to relate so strongly to your story. So I I grew up in the United States, but I was also a kid in the 80s. And we got our first computer at some point in the early 90s. And it was sort of for my brother, like there was always this underlying thing like, oh, you know, he's going to learn to be like a, a a computer person. I think that's what my parents used to say. <laughs> and so our use, of course, our use cases very early on were like playing games and, you know, the drawing programs and that kind of thing. But it was actually websites that I discovered. I think my mom had bought some kind of software. Um, gosh, what was it? I think there was Front Page and Dreamweaver. Yeah. But then just really old. I think the first thing I started with was just really old school, like typing figuring out this HTML thing, like looking at the source of web pages and being like, oh, I can just copy what they're doing, writing that in a text file. And then, you know, having a little domain. And I used to, I remember I used to use like FTP and like transfer files there and oh, it would show God. up. My pages were probably not as cool as yours. Oh, I would, no, like, I'm sure I they were. Like, I would like steal gifts from like other people and just make like entire pages of like stupid gifts and this some and then the, the things that follow the cursor, you know, but it wow. was like magic. And I, I think the difference for me, though, is that because of kind of the, the culture in my family, there wasn't ever even a thought that I could be a person that worked with computers it was always like, oh, you'll be in like the media or you'll be something else. And, you know, there was always this push for my brother. And so I never thought of it. And I, so I didn't go to college thinking of, of studying computers or anything like that. And I didn't discover them for myself and I didn't discover programming uh -huh. until after college. And that's when it hit me like, oh my God, this is magic. Like, I love this and I'm a little late, but I'm not too late. I can start now. So that's I, amazing. I relate to your story so strongly. It was it's, exactly it's the, the same. same. No, I I, yeah. I remember as you were saying that, like I remember, like actually kind of got goosebumps. Uh front page, Dreamweaver, like looking at websites and right-click view source, and then trying to figure it out how do you put the GIF? How do you put like the counter and the under construction lame, you know, early 90s GIF? Oh, I totally had one. <laughs> that was that was mean, like high school, yeah, I was like 15, 16. When I was hitting those things, I was you know, get trying to get access to the internet, like through like free yeah. trials or at the school library. That was um that was how I got into it. Like I'm the first person in my family that kind of went into this career. Actually, one of my aunts studied there was a degree in Mexico called like informatics and finance, which was kind of more CS focused for like business. But was, she was the one than me, but everybody else in my family was like more like the you know old school bankers and lawyers doctors my mom, my mom is a yeah, college teacher yeah, and accountant but none of them were like it was just kind of came out of me somehow and i'm glad it did because this is the one thing i'm good at yeah, <laughs> or, yeah. or one thing i enjoy you know i feel like our families are really similar there was a push <laughs> for all of those particular professions and yeah. i i just wanted absolutely none of it although at the time i didn't know what i wanted and i stumbled for a while but and anyway this this story is about you i will stop talking about I, i'm just really i love it so far because i'm relating so much to what you're saying so you graduated from college and you know i know at some point you did a lot of different kind of startups or consulting can you tell us about sort of your early career phase and, and what you were working on, what you were doing, how you were making decisions? Yeah, yeah. How I was making decisions is a good question that I still I still ponder sometimes. So when I was in college, my school was very traditional CS, kind of almost academic, too academic to a fault. So I had this one good friend, Ivan, who now lives here in California, same as I do. 
And him and I were always kind of like thinking, trying to figure out, hey, we want to do other things. What's what's out there? So we learned a lot on the site about like programming, internet, cloud. So while in college, we we tried to build a couple of products, companies. Back then, there was this program that Microsoft sponsored called Imagine Cup, which was a college level competition where you would submit a pitch. And if you got selected, they'll give you some resources to kind of like build a prototype. You will pitch that prototype. And it's kind of like a elimination kind of thing where like if you pass, eventually you have to present on like this world event that was held every year in different parts of the world. So that was for us a huge motivation for building our ideas. So for a couple of years, Evan and I tried to kind of build startups. You know, we're like young and naive. So we were like, yeah, we could like believe, yeah, we can do whatever we want. And one startup was on electronic medical records, very easy industry to break into, as, as you can imagine. The other one was on um, education, edtech. It was like the idea of this kind of like shared whiteboard for helping education in, in the more rural parts of Mexico. So in both cases got great feedback. I mean, at some of them, actually, we won this trip to uh, Stanford. We took like this two-week class on entrepreneurship as a, as a reward for our, our project. We were not able to like, you know, build those startups, but we learned a lot. So that's kind of like my first kind of attempt at like building our own company. Um, after that, I became a consultant because I had this friend who had a consultant company and they offered me a, a good job right out of school. And I was doing SharePoint developer, development mostly for government companies. So very boring, but for me, it was very exciting. First job out of school in Mexico, Mexico City, which is a wonderful city. Uh, I was making my money. It was very exciting. But in parallel, through this Imagine Cup efforts, a couple of people who actually now are my friends, they started to try to recruit us. And we discovered that Microsoft uh, actually did a yearly recruiting trip to our college. Uh, so we went there, we interviewed, and we both got offers. So Ivan, a good friend, moved to California to work at Hotmail back in the day. I moved to Seattle to work at the .NET framework at a team that eventually become Azure. So it was kind of this very convoluted way where we were just kind of like picking up on opportunities, learning on the way. And, and really the decision-making process for us was like, hey, what's the worst thing that could happen? Or what do we have to lose? And luckily, it worked out well for us. Not every job was amazing. Not every idea prospered. Uh, we worked hard for sure. But I learned that, you know, like that's for me, the magic of technology is how it enables you to do all these things. And 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 especially, you know, in Silicon Valley, kind of the American tech, tech industry is like, if you work hard, if you have ideas, you will find people along the way that will help you push yourself and help you deliver on those ideas. So that's how I ended up in the US. And, and that was kind of a very fun journey for me. I never planned to like move to the US, never planned to kind of be in the startup game. But, you know, a little bit of this, a bit of that. And, and this is where I ended up. And it's, it's been really fun so far. What was it like in terms of, did you have any kind of culture shock, you and your friend, when you uh, came to the US in California and Seattle? Oh, yeah. One of the, it was very funny because it was one of the, I've never been to California before. 
I've been to other parts of the U.S. I have some family in Ohio, so I, I've been there. But the first time we came to Silicon Valley to Mountain View, we were walking down Castro Street, and and we were just exploring the area on on our own. One of the first shocks was like, this is just like the movies, like this is kind of like you know like Mountain View, downtown Mountain View is what I imagine like the U.S. to be like, and it was shocking because it was it was interesting how much it felt like what we always imagined the U.S. would be like. But then at the same time, you meet all the people and you realize that it's very different, it's very dynamic, very diverse. You have a lot of people like immigrants plus people, you know, locals. Uh, that was very interesting. Uh, then when I moved to Seattle, like the first shock for me was the, the weather. I remember my first day at work at Microsoft. I woke up, probably six in the morning. I look out, it was Seattle in the winter. It was dark. I was like, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure it's, I'm sure I have more time. I go back to sleep. I wake up super worried. I'm like, it's still dark outside. What is like 7.30? Oh, I have to hurry. And and then at night, it was like, oh my God, it's 5 p.m. And it's so dark already. Yeah. So <laughs> shock of, of the weather. Because you know what Microsoft does is you go to Seattle in the summer, which anybody who's listening, the Pacific Northwest has the best summers on earth. Uh, like if you go there in the summer, everything's amazing and the water and the mountains. And that's how they get you. And then you go there in the winter and you have this miserable, rainy, gray days for like months. So that for me was actually the biggest shock. Culturally, not a lot of shock. And actually, it was one of those times that when you feel I'm in the right place because working at Microsoft back then, there was a bunch of new hires, a bunch of college grads that just had moved to Seattle to begin this adventure. So Microsoft did a really good job of kind of like building this really cool community where like you felt like you belong. And that was really cool because for me it was like this feeling of like, hey, no matter where you come from, you know, some people came from like very famous universities and, and there was some imposter syndrome, I'm not gonna lie, but we came from Mexico, but then you realize, hey, we're equals here, right? We're all here to do the same work. We like the same things. We have very similar backgrounds. That felt really good. So more, more than culture shock was like a, at least for me, like this culture of like, hey, you're in, a, you're in the right place. This is kind of like your kind of people. I really like that as well. There definitely are niches of tech where it's kind of homogenous, but I found that in different academic settings, different open source communities, just like this, just the sheer different kinds of people, the diversity is is something that I really appreciate because it feels really sad when, when like you go in a meeting and it's like all of one particular kind of person and it you, makes me kind of step back and like wonder how it ended up like that. I mean, I don't want to discount that and, and you're right. I mean, we definitely have a huge problem in, in our industry in terms of diversity. Uh, I think for me, it was more like going from very few people that I knew in my life that like tech and computers and were able to geek about like, you know, like is HTML a programming language or not? And then you move to like at least this bubble, which is, you know, Redmond, Washington, where everybody cares about that. Yeah. That yeah, for I... me was a big change. It was more like actually the going from this niche thing that I couldn't share with a lot of people to this. It's it's complex because it's diverse in, in sense of like at least in, in, in that scale, we had people in our teams from like a bunch of different countries. There was a surprising amount of Latinos that I was not expecting. Gender disparity was like very noticeable. 
but it was in that sense that I felt like, oh, interesting. Now I have more people I can talk to. Now I realize, of course, with time, like, okay, but we need to work with like other types of diversity. It can be just, you know, from this type of schools with these types of backgrounds. But back then, coming from where I was coming, it was like a relief that, hey, there's more people now I can geek on video games and, you know, nerdy things. Like yeah. uh, my long, I've played D&D all my life, but for the longest time, it was this thing you kept hidden, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons, all these tabletop RPGs. And then it became kind of, oh, yeah, it's a cool thing. We all do this here. That feeling was like, oh, finally, I get this. I don't have to hide that part of me. But being Latino in tech and all these other things, you do realize, oh, yeah, there's there's all these areas where we need to do so much better. Yeah, for sure. Do you find that? So this is a question that I'm I'm interested in because I think it's happened to me. I find that when... I find that in my tech communities, I can talk about like all my favorite things and it's just natural and I feel my most authentic self. And actually it's when I go back to kind of family gatherings where there aren't really any, there's not anyone else in tech. I feel like I have a really hard time engaging in conversations that I'm like passionate about in the same way. Like the topics are very foreign to me. I don't know if that's something you've encountered. Oh my God. <laughs> Yes, have you have you tried? What do you how do you explain to your parents? What do you or to your family? What do you do for work? Because I oh my I, god, I yeah, so, years ago. <laughs> so just like I I remember I went on a walk with my dad and I was just trying to explain to him the idea of using the cloud and I started oh, wow. really sim simple with like a virtual machine in the cloud and I'm pretty sure at some point I was like okay so imagine it's your computer but it's in someone else's building. Like it, it just, it just got to like a level of ridiculousness where like it, <laughs> I could not have any sort of interesting conversation because I was, but actually it was a really good practice because a lot of times when we're having conversations with our, our colleagues, we take this understanding for granted. And yes. really a lot of these things are very technical, very niche, and it's a skill that we should have to be able to explain them so simply. So when I was talking to my dad, I realized that like, okay, this is actually a really good practice for me to do that. I should be able to take something that I'm working on and explain it to him and have him understand it. Maybe not all of the super technical things, but just at a high level. So I still try to do that with my family. Like if I have a, a phone call and I, I think they, they can appreciate it up to a point, but I don't think they have that kind of obsessive love for these things that I do. So I make sure that I kind of keep abreast of their interest level and I stop when it's starting to peter oh, that's keeping yeah that I always check sometimes I get excited and I'll keep talking and digging deep into it and, the, and you can see them like their eyes like oh my god but I think what you're saying is, is super important and I think it's something that as I've gotten you know as I progress in my career it's like that meme with like the curve where like you start thinking I have to be super technical I have to show my depth at all times and, and only use these very complicated acronyms and, you know, the, 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 all the three-letter things. But then as I get further in career, I realize, no, like what you said, you have to be empathetic. And if you can't explain things on simple terms, that means you have work to do. And especially in startup world, like when I kind of started doing more pitching to prospective employees, to prospective customers, to investors, realizing that if I can't simplify what I'm doing and explain it to somebody who has, who doesn't have, you know, I've been working in developer tools for 20 years. The person sitting on the other side of the table, not like I need to explain to them the value of what we're building in a way they get it. 
And, and that's something that now I value a lot. And when I see people I look up to, it's one of the things I, I always try to learn is like, how do they do it? How can somebody like, I don't know, like Scott Hanselman or, or Kelsey Hightower take the super high level concepts and pull them now so that everybody in an audience, you know, like in QFCon where you're like giving a talk, everybody gets the value. And that is something now I value a lot more than before. And, and it's funny because I, I had the same challenge with my family where I was working at Windows, right? My intent to explain to someone who's not technical, I work on Windows, but I cannot help you fix your Windows computer because I have no idea. And, and for those like, but you work on Windows? I'm like, yes, but I work on this small piece. And, and in my case, it was like on the communication protocols, the .NET framework thing. It's this small piece inside, but I don't know how to fix your computer. And now I get it better, but back then it was kind of this source of like confusion and trauma and annoyance. But it was it was it was all in good spirits and all all in good fun. Totally agree. And those speakers that you named, absolutely excellent. I've I've seen a lot of their talks as well. So okay, let's let's go back in time. You it sounds like you spent some time at Microsoft, and I also saw that you were at other kind of big tech companies like Atlassian. But it does seem like you still had this kind of startup itch. Can you talk about like maybe jumping back and forth between those things? How <laughs> I kind of want to understand how you got from that, those first early roles to where you are today. Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of jumping back and forth. Uh, I've been very fortunate to meet great people. And, and that's something that I discovered, I mean, quote unquote, discovered that now it seems obvious, which is it's all about the people you work with and about the networks you build. I was at Microsoft four years, wonderful time, great team. I was doing, I love that company. I, I have nothing bad to say about Microsoft. It was a great job for me, great people. And there I met these two, these two people, friends to, the, to this day, that they had this idea and they moved to California, moved to Silicon Valley to start their company. Eventually they get funding. One of them, Amadeo, calls me, says, hey, we had funding. Why don't you come over this weekend and let me show you what we're building. I think you I think you could help us. And I was like, okay, sure. I'll go see you, hang out. I've never been, that was kind of the first time. Hey, I haven't been in, 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 in San Jose, Mountain View for a while. Let's go see you and, and show me what you're building. And then I was there and I was like, oh my God, it's so cool. And then he was like, well, why don't we join us? And I was like, okay. So I went from like having this, you know, very happy, successful Tenure at Microsoft, I'm like, okay, I'm going to move. I remember telling my friends in Seattle, yeah, so I'm going to move to, you know, the Bay Area in January. And everyone's like, why? What happened? Well, the startup. And it was just like that. And I just kind of like changed my life dramatically. I went from this company, which back then had 100,000 employees, to start up with five people. It was kind of traumatic. It was like the first time in my life I've ever used a Mac. They were coding in Python. I was back then a C-sharp developer, but, you know, I trust them. They trusted me, gave me time and space, and we made it work. My co-founders from Octero, actually, I met them at this startup, and it was a lot of fun. It was like this tiny office with no windows in, in Castro Street in Mountain View. We were working like long hours, having fun. We're all like just, just building tech, and, and that was kind of like for me, one of those kind of, wow, so different. But, you know, I still having a lot of fun. It was a lot of work, hard work. I was there for two, two and a half years. Then the company got acquired and I went to, hey, I need a new job. I knew this person at Atlassian. Back then, Atlassian, the maker of Jira, was not that well known. It was before the IPO. 
but they were building a new team to build this chat product, HipChat. This is like before the Slack was kind of like the, the first of this kind of team chat collaboration world. So it seemed like a fun thing. I was like, hey, I want to work on something that is not developer tools. That looks nice. I want to break from the fast, super fast pace of startups. And, you know, after being on this company that we took from like five people to like 40 people, Series A, it was like, hey, yeah, sounded like a good idea. Surprise, Atlassian was a very fast-paced company. It was about 100 people when I joined. It was, I think, 4,000 when I left. Went through an IPO, went through a couple of projects. A lot of excitement, learned a lot, grew a lot. And while I was there, I got to experience firsthand what scaling an engineering company looks like and how things break or don't if you do the right thing. And I learned so much that when I was... You know, when Atlassian decided to shut down HipChat, I was given a choice. You want to stay a different product or you want to leave? And I, I, I chose to leave. I was like, okay, I've seen this happen. I've learned so much. I want to work in this space. I want to work on the space of developer tooling, development experience, and productivity. And I was very lucky that there's two people I met at the startup before who became really good friends, you know, two of my closest friends, Pablo and Ramon. They were also kind of done with their jobs. One was at Docker. The other one was at Google. And we just said, hey, let's, you know, we had fun last time. Let's work together on something. And we all had some ideas. And eventually, we all kind of like reached this idea of like, hey, what we're building now, right? A platform for remote dev environments. Back then, Kubernetes was a very new thing that we had been working on. So it felt like, hey, this cool thing, Kubernetes is coming. It's going to be massive. Let's build tooling for it. And without thinking too much about it, we just decided, hey, let's let's do this the kind of Silicon Valley startup way. Why not? And that's how we got the company started. And we're very lucky that at some point Pablo tried to join this company with Nappy. He interviewed there, it wasn't wasn't a good fit, but he became good friends with the founder, uh, Daniel. And Daniel is the one that told us, hey, you guys, you look like me when I started my company good engineers with no business ideas, you should join Y Combinator. It's a good fit for you. And for me, Y Combinator was like this dreamy, like, yeah, sure, of course. And I'll go to the moon while I'm at it. But we applied because he kind of like pushed us to do it. And and we got accepted. And it was one of those crazy, like, what? Kind of moments of my life. Like, okay, I guess this is real. We're doing this now. And that's when the company and, and really started as a, as this kind of venture-backed idea with like, you know, a scale and, and this kind of broader vision of what we can accomplish. And it all happened in like the span of like two, three months. It was a, a wild, fast ride and not what we were planning, but we kind of hit all these kind of like best cases one after another. So that's how we ended up in the in, in this path. Oh, that's fantastic. So developer productivity. What I'm gonna I'm gonna play naive person for a second. What is developer productivity? That's a, that's a great question. No, I don't think it's naive. I think it's it's a topic that is so unexplored. For me, developer productivity is this space or all these like disciplines about improving the process of building software. I think for the longest time we focused on the output. You know, like how do we turn feature requests? How do we turn requirements from customers into software that solves problems, which is very important. But we never thought about, hey, the craft of going through it, 
what kind of tooling, how can we make that better, faster, more efficient? In our area, especially focused on tooling. It's the tooling that makes developers do their job easier, faster. I think that we built really good tooling in the early ages of computers, terminals, text editors, IDs, and then we stopped. And today we're still developing under the same constraints, more or less, than 40 years ago. Like if you open a terminal, the reason why the characters break after I think it's 120 characters, it's because there was the limit of screens 40 years ago, not now. The way Veeam works is because of restrictions four years ago, not now. So I think it's a, it's a very interesting space where like a lot of companies can do great things by building modern tools to make all these teams more effective. Gotcha. So would you say that developer happiness is part of that equation? Yes, yes, for me it is. It's a, it's a controversial topic. I've pitched this to a lot of people and you always get mixed reactions, but I think so. Because I, I have this belief that happy developers are the most productive developers. And when you work, any friction that gets in the way, anything that makes you kind of like dread doing the work, com it's completely counter to the creative effort that it is to build software. I think I feel exactly the same way. I find that you know, there's lots of metrics you can take to like measure my productivity or anyone's productivity. But like at the end of the day, when I wake up and I am like excited to work on something, to talk to the people that I work with, that's like the magic sauce Yes. <laughs> on top of the, or whatever we're eating. No, a hundred, a hundred percent. That, that for me is like, whenever our customers ask us, Hey, how do I measure this happiness you talk about? I'm like, ask your developers, how do they feel about, do they like their flows? Do they feel like I was asking, hey, ask me if is the work getting in the way of doing work? And it's kind of like a circular question, but you know, developers get it like, yes, yes, this process gets in the way. Having this tool gets in the way. Not having this other thing gets in the way. And it makes my life harder and I'm more frustrated and I'm grumpy. And then I can't do great work. And and that to me is the is the future development is remove all this friction, take all this manual, non-differentiating steps away. So developers can be happy, joyful, and be productive and solve all these problems and enable them to do their thing instead of like, you know, running services and installing things on Kubernetes. YAML is our favorite thing. No, I'm just kidding. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> I really it's like I really like YAML. I like it a lot. I made a career of writing YAML, but I also know that it's not for everybody. And, and that's why with Octeta and, and other projects I've worked at before, and I saw that you work on Flux, same thing, right? It's about making the right abstractions and the right tools so that those of us who don't need Jamal in their lives can be effective and happy. I like Jamal. I get it. I, I find it elegant. Others are like, why is all the text? No, I want to you know, do interfaces. I want to do experiences. I want to solve high-level problems. I think, I think we need both, and, and that's what motivates me to build these kind of tools. And it's what I love about the cloud-native community, especially, is how all of us kind of have these concerns, but we also understand that we're building this base layer for everybody else. I also love that. And Ramiro, I, I need YAML in my life. No, <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're actually building? Yeah. So Octeto is a, it's a platform for automating developer experience. Uh, pretty much it's a YAML to define your dev workflows. Uh, instead of installing things by hand, 
and deploying services by hand and trying to figure out where you get your data and your secrets. You have a YAML on your repo. Octero knows how to read that. And you know your company configures where to get all these pieces from. And it's all fully automated. Our, our goal is that to give every developer a remote dev environment, fully automated, that looks and feels like production. But it's not production, so you can break it as much as you want. You can develop. You can try things there so you don't have to struggle when it finally hits production. That sounds pretty cool. I, I definitely like to uh, break things a lot before. <laughs> me too, <laughs> me too. Not the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun when you break your own environment and then you know what works, you know what doesn't work. So that when you are ready to go to production, then you have full certainty. This will work. It's been tested. No surprises. Because uh, that's something I've, I've heard through my entire career, which is like that uncertainty of like, oh, will it work? Will it work in production? So that's that's kind of my mission is to build these tools that take that uncertainty away and bring this joy of like, oh yeah, I'm done. Push it to prod. Let's see it. Let's make sure our customers now see it or our users now see it. That is that is the the mission that drives us to build Octero and it's both open source. There's a CLI that's open source. And we also have a, a commercial product for, for larger teams who want to bring this to their entire organization. Gotcha. So what would you say are the biggest challenges and joys for starting your own company? The biggest challenges and joys. It's challenging to build something new from zero because there is a lot of uncertainty and you get a lot of like pushback, a lot of no's. You know, most people are not going to understand what you're doing. That's because it doesn't exist yet. Most people will not get it. So that's challenging. You have to know how to manage that because, you know, founders, successful founders need this mix of like grit, naivete, but also to know where, when things, okay, this is never going to work. And the biggest joy is when you build something from zero and then you see a, a team that you have no idea where they are, who they are. And then you realize you're using your product. That is like the best feeling. Like when you go to a conference like QFCon and somebody's like, oh, Octeto, yeah. Oh, I use a product. I love it. And you're like, well, we never talked about who are you? Oh yeah, I saw it on a website and I tried it and it works and I love it. And that's the best feeling. It's it's amazing. You know, it might take years to get there, but once you get that, it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's such a cool thing. You know, like to be able to build something that somebody else finds useful and rewarding and helps them build their own things that's that to me is the the coolest thing about the about building your own company and your own product absolutely and i can't say i've built my own company but there's a little bit of that in you know open source software development where someone uses your software and then they they go out of their way and they say this has really made my life a little bit better and oh it's pulls all the heartstrings (laughs) i've been doing open source for a long time and yes it's that feeling i'm sure you get it was there anything that I didn't ask about that you'd like to talk about? Oh, I think I think we covered a lot. It's a, it was a very fun conversation. It went from everything. I, I really I really enjoyed it. Alrighty, I have uh, I'll close up with just a few more questions. Okay. So, if you could go back in time and give your younger self some advice, what would you say? Younger self, don't be afraid of life changes. You can always undo them, like moving or changing jobs. Like those things are. It's okay. It's okay to fail. That's good advice. I'd add to that that this perception of failure is often very subjective too. Oh yeah, and and very short term because what looks like failure one day, like you look back 
like with years you're like oh that was actually so much fun <laughs> yeah exactly okay so when you're not you know programming or i guess doing nerding out in different ways what do you like to do in your free time i like to cook a lot i like to nerd out cooking it's one of the things i i do when i'm done coding for the day or working for the day i'll, I'll cook dinner or brunch I really, I really enjoy the the process of everything chopping and mixing and cooking and then having a a tasty meal at the end oh what what's your favorite thing to cook at your specialty my specialty um lately I, I go through phrases phases lately um especially with the winter a lot of stews a lot of like slow I, I bought an instapot well, it was a gift about a year ago so I've been using it a lot for like stews or like you know hearty soups I really like those kind of like old school French stews. Very meaty, very buttery. And also some Mexican food. Awesome. So Ramiro, it has been really fun to chat. I was really just quite tickled to see the overlap in our stories and our, our shared experiences. And I really like the courage that you've had throughout your career and in, in trying new things and not being afraid to. And it was just a complete pleasure having you on the show today. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me, Vanessa. I really enjoyed the conversation and I agree it was it was quite a coincidence that we have such a parallel way to getting into into tech. <laughs>